The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Good evening, listeners, brave navigators of the enigmatic and the concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast. Where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. Welcome to another episode of Paranoid American Podcast, and I'm incredibly excited today because I've got an all-around badass joining us. This is Mark Rogers. Uh, he's up there front and center. First of all, before we even get into anything else, can you just do some plugs up front and tell people where they can go and find your work, what your social medias are, like all, all that? Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me. Um, my... Uh... Uh, website is um, www.markrogersart.com and my social media is um, at Mark Rogers Art. So, Mark, I came across your artwork probably on Instagram like a, a while ago, and it was probably just like a passing thing. I was like, oh, cool. There's uh, like an Indian cow or, or an alien cowboy or something, you know, like it had like a certain, certain aesthetic to it. And then I saw another one and another one. And then I realized that 
you had really honed into this very particular aesthetic and topic uh, and just like content matter. And I don't know, like I felt like uh, like maybe you knew who I was and you were like secretly <laughs> making all this artwork just for my enjoyment because it was like so dead on to everything that I love about, I guess, like traditional um, like folk art, but also conspiracy theories. Like we got dolphins and aliens and reptilians. And so first I just want to ask you, do you have like a like a name for your aesthetic or your style or anything? No, I don't really... I don't really think I have a name for it, but all my paintings do take place in a fantasy world that, that I call the Southwestern Bellows that um, kind of exists in my sketchbooks and my imagination. And um, a lot of it is set like in the Southwest in a, it's kind of like um, if you were to um, think about like a fantasy novel, it's like set in Europe. It's like, you know, in the medieval ages, this one is, and it's got elves and stuff. My weird fantasy world I paint in is kind of like the American version of that, but it's set in the 1800s and it has aliens and shit like that instead of, um, instead of elves. So that's kind of what I do. And did this place start in your (laughs) mind and you were like, I have to paint this place or did you start painting and determine like, I'm going to world build? Like, how did it actually start? Yeah, um, a little bit of both. Um, Before I was a painter, I really wanted to become a writer like Stephen King. I love Stephen King so much. Um, I don't read just like horror and stuff, though. I read a lot of fantasy novels. I love world building. Um, I'm kind of a nerd like that. But um, but yeah, when I started painting, you know, that interest really, um, I don't know, took a center stage, I guess. And um, yeah, and I've always been interested in uh, paranormal topics and stuff like that, too. So like all my interests kind of combined. It's like, what are you going to paint? I don't know. I mean, just stuff you're into. And that's like stuff I think is interesting. So. And uh, here, I'm going to just have some of your art up on the screen while we, we talk a little bit, just so that some of the viewers can kind of see some of these aesthetics. Um, and uh, I'm not going to make you explain all these in detail or anything, but um, like some of these bring some really cool ideas to mind. So this is the the Crystal Mountain Invaders, and this is in two parts. And I assume this is happening under this dude's house. Uh, and they've each got a portal. Like, where are these portals going? Are these going back to like their alien world, or is this another place on our world? Um, well, that painting is pretty old, so that one's 2016. Um, I'm trying to think of what was going through my mind at the time, but um, I do. I was kind of thinking that maybe that was the basement. Um, and that the uh, alien was going through the portal and entering into the um, that miner's cabin. And we got Nephilim too, which I've, I've never seen a depiction quite like this of Nephilim where he's um, holding like a, a giant Nautilus, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, so outside of this particular piece, what are your thoughts on Nephilim in general? Like are you, are you big into the topic? Do you think that it's real? Do you think they actually existed at some point? Um, I don't really have any concrete ideas on 
You know, I don't have any firm beliefs on any of this stuff. I'm totally open-minded though. And I'm totally interested in reading as much and, you know, um, absorbing as much of this kind of content as I can. Cause it's all super fascinating, but I mean, I've never seen evidence of like giant, like angel creatures personally, but you know, I mean, um, you know, on the internet, you can find any thing to confirm your bias one way or, or another, but I'm just like totally open and fascinated with all these topics. So, I mean, I can't really, uh, you know, say whether or not, um, I'm interested or I have like a firm belief in it, but, uh, I was raised Catholic and, um, I think that that's where I first started. I'm not Catholic now for the record, but, um, but, uh, I think that's where some of my interest in some of these topics came in, you know, just like magic and, um, you know, people coming back from the dead and like, you know, stuff that sounds like alien stuff. Um, the yeah, Catholic Mass is is feels very high magic. Like it's a lot of oh yeah, yeah. it's ritual magic. Like, oh yeah, big time. <laughs> the, and this one is a. Uh, I'm curious, how long did something like this take you? For like a like a piece like this one as an example. Um, that one. Um, I'm gonna say like three weeks, I guess. So does and this I paint mean- about like five, four or five hours a day? usually i mean it's, it's a substantial amount of time so yeah, for three weeks were you thinking about nephilim constantly or does this just Prob- leave the second you leave the canvas it actually leaves before i even get there um like usually it'll like take place in my sketchbook so i'll um we'll usually draw something out there um like the way I've been working now is I've been working in like series of nine paintings. So I'll actually like put together a storyboard and, um, and then I'll just go through and paint them one at a time, but I'm always like nine paintings ahead of the painting I'm painting. So, um, like right now I'm thinking about one series, but I'm painting one that I drew up, um, a while ago. So I guess I'm, I'm not necessarily like thinking about them anymore. Like the story's been kind of written, but I'm now I'm as I'm painting, I'm just like revisiting them and trying to come up with extra details I can like pack into the painting and stuff. But really all the conceptual stuff just kind of happens um in the sketchbook almost like a year before I paint the painting. Um interesting. Uh, that reminds me kind of like working on comics where like I'll get a hair up my ass about a certain story and I'll, I'll write it all out and I'll figure out like what the art's going to look like and get all the character sketches and, and it feels like, okay. And I, and it, it's almost like I never learn after, you know, decades. I feel like if I get all this energy and I put all that effort in, then like I'll wake up the next morning and it'll just like be done and be there. But really it goes into the production process and yeah, I can relate to where, like you stop putting everything into that story because it's like already out on the assembly line and you're just waiting to see how it gets produced and then maybe tweak a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a process like that. I enjoy it. Um, a lot though. I like the, uh, I don't know. I just like the rhythm of just waking up and painting and just working on it like marathon style. It's just like, you just kind of keep going and um yeah it's not just like this wild thing like whoa man i just thought about you know like 
a man turning into from a Sasquatch into a man and he's not wearing any shoes. I'm just so pumped about it. I'm going to do it now. You know, it's like, (laughs) it takes like months and like maybe a year later, I'll start painting that weird idea that came into my head. So do you run into like a, like writer's block or artist block for any of this? Or do you just push yourself and power through it? I just kind of power through it slowly. You got any tips for anyone that hits creative blocks and doesn't know how to just power through it? Um, yeah, I have a couple uh, strategies that I do um, for um, one thing that I do for um, like an artist block, like um, like trying to figure out a composition or trying to figure out something like that is I do these uh, 10 minute thumbnail things um, where I'll just draw out like a little st- um like my rectangle where the painting might go and i'll just put on a timer and i'll just try to fill that up in 10 minutes and then i'll just move on and go 10 minutes 10 minutes 10 minutes and that's like a strategy that will usually yield some sort of a composition um and then um limiting um all the possibilities is like another thing that really helps me creatively Um, because you can really like paint or draw like anything. So coming up with like a limited range of what you're going to be working on, you can be creative, pretty creative in a, when you have some constraints there, you know, um, like if you're painting from a storyboard or something, you're like, okay, I've got these characters, um, you know, I've got this situation. Uh, I, I find it really helpful to work like that. And I actually will do the same thing with like weirdly my painting palette. Like I only buy six tubes of paint and I've been using the same exact colors since I started like in 2009, I guess. That's a, are there any, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to ask this question. It might sound an ignorant <laughs> question, but are there like any colors that you're still discovering that you can make out of those six different uh, like root colors or have you pretty much found the whole spectrum at this point? I think I've found the whole spectrum of those um, colors. I think Um, I have been really thinking about um, switching my red out for a different red because I use primary colors. I use um, primary colors, a black and a white and a brown. And those are, those are the colors that I use, but, um, but yeah, I think I've, I've been able to figure out every single combination that I can get with those specific colors. Um, but yeah, I still feel like I'm learning though, and I'm still trying to get better. You had a note on this one, uh, painting where you said, I enjoy painting alien languages because humans rarely notice my dyslexic spelling errors. <laughs> yeah, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> so how how do you think that affected you communicating through art? Was that like, a, I don't know, like for a lot of people that I know that were dyslexic that then became artists were like, it was the first time that they felt they could communicate without uh, thinking that they were making mistakes or having to like check every little thing. Um, <clears throat> um, yeah let me think about this well i feel as if uh, my dyslexia really shows up when i'm talking out loud and when i'm um 
when I'm uh, reading stuff, I'll just mix up the words and mix them backwards. Like not, not when I'm reading, um, just reading a book, like I'm a pretty voracious reader, but when I'm reading the text in the book out loud to somebody, it's very obvious. I once got fired from a record store for, (laughs) um, you know, my inability to, um, organize records by (laughs) with the, with the human alphabet. Um, I thought I was doing it right, but you know, there's something that switches (laughs) in my brain that, that I guess I wasn't doing a very good job, but, uh, I don't know. I think I'm an okay writer, but, um, but yeah, telling stories with pictures is way, it seems way more natural to me. This one too, uh, this was probably one of my favorite ones. And I, and the description, I mean, I saw it before I, I read the description. I was wondering like, is this a guy turning into an alien or was this an alien taking off his suit? And sure enough, this is a, a depiction of his Zeta reticuli gray removing the living Homo sapien supin, uh, Homo sapien costume in a physically and spiritually exhaustive process known as drama. So, is this something that like you had like a dream about or thought up? Like, like how much of this machine do you know how it works, or is this just an aesthetic thing? Um, I have no idea. It just started happening. I can't really tell you. Like, I just, I kind of got an idea and I just, um, so there's this no is like, on this, this, one's, this one's an earlier, um, painting as well. I'm like going to get close. Yeah. 2017. Um, I guess it's not that early, but, um, that one doesn't, isn't part of like a major storyline or anything, but I was like, just, I think I had seen, um, early, I really like uh, just collecting reference material from like the 1800s and stuff. And I think I had um, had seen some reference material with some photography um, in it and people getting photography, you know, having their photo taken or early experiments with photography. And then my brain just went with that instead of a camera. And then I, you know, so I was kind of thinking about 1800s photography um, when I came up with that. But that's how an alien like takes off its human face. Um, the dissimulation reversal. Yeah. And my cat is actually that cat um, in that painting is actually sitting right here beside me while I do this interview. This is a podcast. 20 pound. 20 pound cat. Uh, he's he's <laughs> lost a lot of weight. Um, I think he's only like, I don't know. He might be only 11 pounds or something, but he, oh, uh, he's half the cat. Yeah. I used to live in a studio apartment for many years. And then, um, and I live in a house now and the house has stairs. So he runs up and down the stairs. I think it's, it's good for him. <laughs> Did you find yourself gravitate towards, uh, like an area in like the Midwest or like in the, the West, like your paintings, uh, follow, like, are you in Arizona or something or. Um, I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, and my parents were born in Arizona. Um, my, so all of my extended family lives in Arizona. Um, and then my, uh, my biological father lives in Palm Springs, California, like, which is right next to Joshua tree. 
So I visit him quite often. So I'll go down to the desert and do that. But I could never personally live in the desert because I'm very pale and uh, (laughs) the sun (laughs) destroys me. Um, But yeah, I used to live in Portland. And then a little over a year ago, I moved to the Midwest. I live in Fort Wayne, Indiana now. I moved here because I was like, well... Portland was getting a little expensive for housing and I really wanted to buy a house and I couldn't afford one there. But I was like, I think I can afford one in the Midwest somewhere. I'd never even heard of Fort Wayne, but I started um, just doing some research and I was like, okay, Fort Wayne, it's a little smaller, but it's outside of Chicago. It's outside of Indianapolis and Detroit. It's kind of like right in the middle. So um, yeah, and the weather isn't super brutal as far as snow goes. I mean, we get snow, but it's like it's not like um, Milwaukee or Buffalo or someplace. Those, those were some of the other places I was thinking about. So, I have you done any pieces one. with snow? Um, I've drawn stuff in my sketchbook with snow while I was in Milwaukee in the snow, um, but no, I've never painted a snow piece yet. I Maybe will, though, a, eventually. Yeah, there's a, a Christmas series coming up. <laughs> yeah, I'll do a Christmas series. Yeah, I'll do a Christmas series. <laughs> you mentioned, too, that you really like looking for reference material and stuff from the 1800s. Is this, mm-hmm. like, I mean, I'm, I'll assume just, you know, browsing online and looking around. But, like, if you're driving by an old pawn shop or you're walking around a pawn shop, is there something that you're, like, always keeping your eye open for? Like, a certain magazine or a certain, like, tin or... No, but I love visiting history museums. I just, I guess that's my thing. It's like when I'll, when, uh, whenever I go to a new city, I'm like, I want to visit the history museum. Sometimes I'll take photos, reference photos of the things they have there. Like as soon as I moved to Fort Wayne, like I was like, I'm going to the history museum. I'm going to learn about this place. That's also fun, you know, to like kind of learn about, um, learning about different places, but I also visually like, um, I love stuff from that time period. Um, just like before computers, um, before really like the industrial revolution took off. It's just like weird to think about how people lived their lives and did stuff with, you know, with, no game with, boy. with that kind of no game boy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I wouldn't want to live in that time period. My, the Game Boy Me got me either. times. <laughs> yeah, having surgery or something back then, whoa, that'd <laughs> yeah. be brutal. You're bite down on this cloth if you were lucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even just like going to the bathroom, like having to use an outhouse, um, just like everything. It's just it's hard. <laughs> Everything's just hard. It sounds like something that you would like pay to experience only so that you can like go back to normal life afterwards, like these days. Well, I did experience it in the form of the Johnny Appleseed um, Festival, which happened here in Fort Wayne um, just a couple weeks ago. Um, I love going to, um, yeah, any like historical reenactment thing. I like watching it from the sidelines and being like, wow. That's really interesting. What was the highlight from the Johnny Appleseed thing? Um, they had, uh, there were a couple of things that stood out. They had like these kids that were, um, they were dressed as like the, this French drummer group. So they were all 
Um, so they were all playing drum, like these um, snare drums, um, kind of like marching band style. But what was so weird was like they were just all their faces were just like super deadpan. So they were just like, you know, dressed in like these uniforms like they were time travelers or something and everybody was watching and it was just kind of a fun juxtaposition of you know like these kids in costume playing drums very seriously and um all these people with their phones out taking pictures of them that was kind of cool um what did it have to do with johnny appleseed uh johnny appleseed is uh buried in fort wayne um uh so there's just a festival commemorating him and all the trees all the apple trees he planted um yeah the festival happens every year at his gravesite it's like a big thing out here it's pretty it's new for me to be experiencing i'm like wow it's that's pretty weird and obscure but it's a real big deal here is it like an apple festival too? They got like apple pie and apple cider and all that? Or Yeah, yeah. We got some apple cider. They have apple pies. Um, they had, uh, what's it called? Sarsaparilla root beer. Wasn't very good, but at least the <laughs> stuff I had. Um, it's not very carbonated. You know, you're used to drinking like soda. Um, did, did we have like a liqueur or whatever, you know, and it's pretty carbonated, but this wasn't. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's weird. They might have just, just dropped it on the ground or yeah, something. <laughs> yeah, it's totally flat. I don't know what they did back then, if they had any car, any means to carbonate beverages back then, you know, in the 1800s. I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, they had, um, uh, they, they called them phosphates for a while. Oh, fascinating. I, I think that came, I'm probably just making stuff up as I go here, so people can correct me in the comments, but I could have sworn that the guy that, uh, found nitrous oxide also eventually um, helped contribute to the discovery of like phosphates and fizzy sodas. And I think that was in the late 1700s. So it, Whoa. It, it wouldn't surprise me if someone in the 1800s had some kind of a fizzy drink. Yeah. I'm going to have to go down the rabbit hole on that. And I think beer too. I think they, I think they've had carbonated beer for a while. Anyway, I, I might all just be talking. And I, I noticed on one of these, uh, one of these paintings here, I liked the the quote. I think it was this one here. He had, says um, that the aliens return in the year 3092 after nuclear radiation has subsided. Um, after meditating hundreds of years with the ancient one, they promised to return to Earth with an extremely chill CBD THC strain, which would not only cure every disease, but cure the world. What's the name <laughs> of that? What's the name of that strain? Oh man, I have no idea. Is this like just Northern been, Lights, or is this something I mean, special? It hasn't, it hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because it's going to come out a little later, and like a thousand years from now. Is this going to be like a Kush? Is it going to be like a Sativa? <laughs> it's going to be a new blend we've never even heard of. Fair enough. It'll, it'll be that alien strain. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and then I don't know how much of this is is just from like your aesthetic influence and stuff, but there's, I mean, I see this and I just kind of read uh, like some kind of Masonic influence a little bit in some ways, at least with like the garb or like, are, are you into any of the ancient mystery schools or secret societies? Is that kind of stuff influence any of your thoughts? Yeah. I'm super into all of that. I love um, 
you know, magic and witchcraft and, um, are you in the Illuminati by any chance? No. Okay. Would you tell me if you were? Maybe. Fair. I can't. I'm not sure if I can reveal that in time. You can't disclose that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, I love occult stuff. I love magic. I love chaos magic. I'm a Wiccan. I'm like really into all of that. I think it's... um, I thought about about joining the Masons, but I don't think I have enough time. Yeah, it's it takes a little while. It's it's a it's an investment in time for sure. Yeah. I'm really busy and I'm kind of like um I'm kind of uh um an introvert. Um it seems like they hang out a lot. And that's cool, but um I'm just so busy. <laughs> I I mean there's a lot of different reasons people join them, but I I would I'd like to describe it as like uh if you were really into chess, right, you join a chess club and it's not yeah. like you could just walk out into public and find someone that likes chess. It's a very niche uh, thing to be interested in. So for me, masonry is like chess club, but it's for people that, that like to read like occult books and esoteric topics and old books. And yeah, again, yeah. very niche thing. And like, you can't just like drive up to like a library and just assume that you're going to bump into someone that, cares about like the Ars Goetia or like old 1600s alchemical texts. So oh, yeah, that's kind of where that. Freemasonry stands out or Rosicrucianism or OTO or any of those. Mm-hmm. Have you considered joining any other groups before? Oh yeah. I've considered joining every, every one of those groups. Um, but yeah, I'm just not even really, uh, yeah, I've just never um, joined one, but I'm pretty open to, I'm open to it all. Um, there's one that I would join over the others. I don't know. I'm pretty fascinated with the Golden Dawn, but I don't really feel like the Golden Dawn. I, I don't really know what they're like, like right now. You know, I only know about the Golden Dawn, you know, in, you know, in that Victorian era when they were like at the height of their thing. Um, and also, I don't really know if I live near anything like that. Um, so I guess I would join the Masons or like the Odd Fellows or something like that around here. Yeah, just the geographic really convenience of it. Right? Yeah, 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 definitely. So um, I, I noticed in one of these back too, it had like um, like a reptilian looking dude. Do you? So uh, do you actually believe in greys and reptilians and all these uh, alien entities? Um, I'm pretty, like like I was saying before, I'm pretty open to it all. Um, you know, I don't have any reason to, uh, to think that it's not real or I don't really think that I have reason to believe that it is necessarily totally real either. Um, I could go either way. Um, I'm just, I'm just totally open-minded to the possibility. You know, I love absorbing, um, all of, you know, the books, the stories, the firsthand accounts, um, like UFOlogy in general has been interesting to me since I was a little tiny kid. Um, I have never personally seen a gray. I've seen a UFO before, but it wasn't like a flying saucer or triangle shaped, but it, 
but the UFO I saw did look um, similar to something that I've seen in a, a couple of UFO documentaries, but um, it was more of like an energy ball shape type type of a UFO. Um, was it making the like irrational movements and sharp corners and stuff? Uh, I didn't. No, it just flew across the sky um, pretty low. It was about the size of like a Volkswagen bug or something. And it looked like it was made out of like energy. That's the only way I can really describe it. And it just kind of flew over the horizon line. Um, and I was with another person. We just like kind of watched it. It just flew like above the telephone lines at maybe only like 20 miles an hour. We just kind of watched it cruise by. It didn't have any of like the distinctive um, stuff that's congruent with like the lore and other people's sightings at all. It was just, you know, it didn't. It wasn't all spastic. It, it didn't look like it was capable of. I mean, it, it didn't even really look like a machine. It just looked like it was made out of magic or something. That's why I still refer to it as a UFO rather than, you know, it was definitely something I could not identify. But that was the only encounter like that that I've had that I can think of. Do you have a lot of UFO enthusiasts reach out to you because of the Ab type of art you produce? Absolutely. And I love it. I love hearing people's stories. Um, I just think it's so cool. Um, yeah. So like, obviously I'm not painting the lore or like the, you know, I feel like there is um, sort of like a cohesive uh sort of story that's starting to form with um the abduction phenomenon and grays um i feel like that that is starting to um happen within ufoology but i just i just have my own like stories that i make up but still people will recognize that and be like hey man can i tell you something that happened to me and i'm like please do so just yeah, just PayPal me twenty bucks and and I'll listen to anything. <laughs> no, I want to hear. Like people will send me stories like through Instagram. They'll like write their personal stories or they'll like send me video or like um, voice recordings and stuff. And I'm always fascinated. Do you ever go to uh, UFO conventions or anything like that? No, but I really wanted to go to. Um, there's been a few that I've been tempted to go to. I don't really get out very much, um, unfortunately, but um, like there's the contact in the desert. When I was living on the West coast. I really wanted to go to, but those tickets are fairly pricey. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, do you go to UFO? Um, there, I actually just found out that the first annual um, Orlando UFO convention is happening in like. So a you're week in Orlando. Yeah, I'm in Orlando. Okay. So I haven't been to one. No, I've I've wanted to, and I might be able to make it to this one. Although if I if I don't, I'm, I'll be bummed. But I absolutely am going to go to all the future ones. I just found out about it too late. Um, and I was, I mean, desert UFO like. Didn't you want to go and do the Naruto run into Area 51? Um, no. No? Okay, yeah, me either. <laughs> it just seemed a little hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just a painter. I don't have, like, 
you know, I don't have expertise or like hidden knowledge that other people don't have. You know, I just like you can keep I'm just that tight lip though. You don't have yeah. to say that out loud. You can be like, yeah. oh, no, I've got all the secrets. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any secrets <laughs> that you know of. Um, but uh, I, I actually just remembered I did go to um, the McMinnville UFO Festival. Sorry, it took a second for my brain to catch up, but there was a side side effect of that that Men in Black flash that they gave you on the way out. <laughs> yeah. McMinnville, uh, in McMinnville, Oregon, they had a pretty significant sighting in like, um, I think it was the fifties, uh, standard, um, flying saucer type UFO. Um, anybody can just Google McMinnville UFO. And, um, so every year they have a festival there that, um, has been, uh, yeah, you'll probably, it'll probably just pop up right away. There it is. Um, yeah, they have a little festival there. Um, they had um, uh, like a pet parade where people dress up their dogs. <laughs> a little and like chicken, like robot chickens, like aliens. Yeah, <laughs> and chickens. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little country out That's um, awesome. outside of Oregon or outside of Portland in the smaller cities. Oh, I'm sure it exists. I, ju- I guess I just never considered that there might be like a best in show chicken edition. Yeah. There was a, I saw a green chicken out there. Um, like naturally green or dyed green. Dyed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was like, is that really very good for the animal? But I don't know. It, <laughs> That's where Tyson gets all of their, their chicken from. Like yeah. Chickens. Uh, this is this might sound a little bit random and you might even have an answer but i'm just do you have an idea in mind like the physics of what's going on here is she in and she enclosed in like uh like energy prism or is this like a material prism like what's going on here she's uh generating an energy prism around her body because she has just discovered that she has that ability so she is um kind of showing her parents what she can do. She's like, this is what I can do. That one, I had a, that one had a flash and tattooed. Um, so like after you get tattooed, you're all like kind of spacey or whatever. Um, and I had my sketchbook with me and I was just like sitting down afterwards and I was just like, kind of spacing out and i just drew that lady inside of um inside of that so i i don't know i just had a story of just like really quickly flash into my mind and i just drew it in my sketchbook real fast and then painted it like a year later but Do those, are those fleeting like if you hadn't sketched it at that exact moment and waited until you got home like would it have just dissipated um I don't know. I'm not sure. I think they do kind of stick with me. Yeah, I've been, um, I have this current idea I've been working on. I think I've drawn like, I don't know, it's just like in my mind, but I've drawn so many different like little thumbnails and the same one's been in my mind for months now. So are you waiting for your, your brain to just say like, that's the one? Like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I have specific drawing times during the day, you know, so I'll like, um, right now I draw first thing in the morning, so I'll just wake up my cup of coffee and I'll just like start sketching and um, 
do that for like 45 minutes or an hour. And if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I'll maybe get it tomorrow or the next day or whatever. I love, man, I love the perspective of some of these ones here. That one's a really tiny, that one's a really tiny painting. Um, I almost forgot I painted that. Are what kind of paintings don't make it onto your website? Like how how many how many are not on the site versus how many are on the site? Um, I would say a lot of them are on the site. Maybe a lot of my new stuff might not be on the site yet, but I try to be very careful with um, or very deliberate, I guess, with you know making sure everything is like. Um, you know, I bombed quite a few paintings when I was first starting. So I try to idiot proof my paintings so that I don't make the mistake. I try to make sure like that one, I might want to take that one off my website now. Um, really? What do you, what do you think in it that makes you think that? Um, I think that I am probably better at painting. I don't like how I rendered that girl's face. Um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, I would have rendered some of the things differently. But, you know, I'm a little older now, and I've been doing it for a little longer. And that probably happens with every artist, you know. You're like, look at your earlier stuff, and you cringe a little bit. You're like, dang, I could do that a little bit better. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that only you see, for sure, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I guarantee you no one's, li- well, maybe someone, but I don't think anyone's looking at the canvas and be like ah but her face it could have been rendered different i mean (laughs) yeah where where does the mantis come in uh like our our, Um, because mantis isn't something that you would find in arizona is it um no like is this something uh, from your childhood or well mantids are pretty pretty common in a lot of the ufo lore um with uh with grays and stuff where they're um where you would like have abduction scenarios where there's like this mantid character that's like almost a different species um commingling with the uh the gray characters in my imagination i like to think of the the mantids as acting as the uh, moral compass for the um grays who no longer have the ability to um they no longer have the ability to dream. They've uh, traded in um, their mortality. I call them the Zeta Reticulons because the Betty and Barney Hill incident, um, They in that incident, they I think uh, Betty said that um, these aliens told her that they came from the Zeta Reticulon star system. So that's why I always call them the Zeta Reticulons in my stories. But um but as far as the mantids go, I think of them like in this Jiminy Cricket kind of way. Like okay. Jiminy Cricket. So they're like, they're actually like kind of good and they kind of help people. You know, it's a little bit debatable whether or not they actually do, but they think they do. Um, so, well, Jiminy Cricket was the conduit to bringing basically human consciousness into the homunculus of Pinocchio, right? So, uh, it, it's a very Gnostic tale, but he's sort of that initial 
a spark of consciousness that invites a bigger spark. So I think it's a, that's a great analogy for the the mantids uh, kind of directing that. And it made me think as you were talking too, in this world that you've created, are there good guys and bad guys? Or is everyone just different shades of gray? Um, the reptilians are kind of bad. Um, the, the grays are kind of bad. Not totally bad. Um, the mantids are sort of good. Uh, I've also got, um, not on my website yet, but I'm doing a series right now about the, um, the Palladians, the space brothers. Um, and they're bad. <laughs> they're like totally assholes. They're like, they they're, they've been really cracking me up. I I've enjoyed painting about them. They're sort of like, um, they're, they're, they're like all influencers. Um, they all work online, but are these but the Paul brothers, the but they, but they walk, but they, but they're, and they're all like hot and, um, and they all kind of look down on regular people or humans and they're way more productive because they only sleep like two hours a day. And they have cool technology. They have cool jumpsuits and they just think humans are super pathetic and they're just jerks. And so in my imaginary world, there was like a lot of strife that happened when they when they landed back in ancient times, which was actually just 42 years ago. They landed in the southwestern bellows, but then they were banished and they now live on this little island. Um, and they were banished because they were assholes. And there was like a little war that was fought. But as far as the greys go in my imaginary world, they're more like... They're really elusive, and um, they live like in caves and stuff. They live in their spaceships. They're they're really scary. They steal people's dreams because um, they can't have any of their own. Yeah, they can't have any of their own. And I really, um, I was kind of like taking from like the um, the actual UFOlogy a little bit that I've read where. Um, you know, one of the theories is they want to like start inbreeding themselves into the human population through um, like abductions and impregnations and stuff like that. So they don't quite do that in my stories, but they want to gain something that they've lost, which would be like some sort of like, I don't want to say humanity because they're aliens, so they're not human, but they're you know, their animal nature, they want to regain some of that. So they're trying to regain it through humans. They don't dream. They don't, um, if they die, they're like reborn right away on this weird mothership. That's in my imagination. I call it the quartz embassy. Um, they just kind of respawn immediately. Yeah. They're respawn and they're respawned with their cool robe on already. They're born with a robe. (laughs) There is one alien that makes all the robes, though, and that alien is called the Royal Clothier. How mu- how much of this have you, like, do you have an entire storyline about the Royal Clothier and where they come from and what their aspirations and ambitions are? No, I just know that there is the Royal Clothier, and that person, it takes them 200 years to make a robe. Um, why why not 500? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if it's a really elaborate robe, I don't see why not. Yeah, 
or a really tall person, it would take them probably twice as long. Um, I, I see a little bit of references to like Egyptian lore. There was one where they were in the canoe, which I love. That's might be one of my favorite ones where they're in the canoe and you've got like Sebek, um, with a crocodile face or at least something that refers to that. And you've got like a sarcophagus. Um, like how much do you know slash care about like ancient Egyptian stuff? Is it aesthetic mostly or are you like really into it? Um, I like it, um, quite a lot. I think it's really cool. Um, in, uh, in Portland, they had this, um, right around the time this painting and that other painting that you were referring to was painted. Um, I had just gone to see, um, an Egyptian exhibit at OMSI, which is the Oregon Institute of Science and, uh, Industry, I think, Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, um, but yeah, uh, they had a replica of King Tut's tomb there, and it was amazing. And I love, um, yeah, I just love all of that Egyptian stuff. I mean, like sweet art, cool, um, weird religious magic, um, some some of the very first, like, you know, like, Egyptian magic is a thing that people still are into. They still, like some people still like practice that like the golden dawn were like all those you know people in the 1800s were like obsessed with egypt and like the egyptian mysteries and like all that kind of stuff i think it's pretty far out yeah uh cagliostro i think was into like the egyptian rites and then that made its way into french freemasonry which then made its way into the rites of memphis misrium which are the one? Those are the ones when people are like, "Oh, they're like a super high degree Mason, right?" Uh, like normal Masonry, Scottish Rite goes up to like thirty two or thirty three, but the Memphis uh, Misrium goes up to like ninety nine. Those are the ones where they're like, you know, my uncle's like a like a super high ranking Mason. That's always what I think. It's probably not what they're talking about, but yeah, those are the ones that went all the way up into like almost the triple digits. I think that. Like, even if you get into those groups, they're like, well, it goes way beyond 99, man. It goes up to like 130. <laughs> wow. I wonder what the apron looks like when you get. Well, that's that's that where degree. the apron, I believe, also came from, was from like the Egypt. Egyptian rights. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. There's a, yeah. I don't know how much, um, like, are you familiar with Manly Palmer Hall's work at all? Uh, he's like an. I guess you would say sort of a new age, uh, early, but I don't want to say it like in a, in a, some people take the term new age to be maybe new thought would be more of like, uh, it's like a new, new thought author, right? Yeah. He was, uh, I think 1920s, I think is when he started getting, uh, getting his things together. Wrote the sacred flame or something like uh, initiates of the flame. Initiates um, of the bro. flame. Uh, the the new destiny uh, land new destiny of Atlantis thing is the name of it. Secret teachings of all ages. Uh, uh, like yeah, yeah. On. He wrote so damn many of them. Um, but I, but I, the reason I was uh, bringing him up is that it's I can see some of the I guess like partial influence, but that was also just because that was new age. He was right on the very edge of like I guess the late eighteen hundreds going into the early nineteen hundreds. And in my mind, he's like the entry point for a lot of Americans into occult topics. He's kind of the 
the one that made it easy for the bumpkins like me to understand without having to go through all of the um, you know, hermetic order of the golden dawn rituals and understand all the secrets. He would just be like, Hey, here's the secrets. And then, you know, he might not have made a lot of friends during that process. Yeah. I haven't actually read any of his books, but I'm sure uh, one day. So this is the mantis guy again. And are humans, um, good or bad or are they just humans in in your they're world? just humans there's witches and wizards and uh you know all, all different types of people um yeah people are generally generally pretty gray you know there's good characters bad characters um yeah um the grays are definitely gray leaning towards bad the the uh, reptilians are all the way bad um yeah. Is this a, a she a shapeshifting reptilian? Yeah, I think so. That was like a little commission piece that somebody asked me for. So sometimes I do those without, you know, so I'm like, okay, cool. They don't um, have to necessarily fit into the world exactly. That would that one's actually a commission too. So um yeah, that those don't quite fit into the world. I had had another, um, Oh, that's so cool, man. (laughs) I I had another story that I kind of came up with, um, based on that. And somebody saw something from my sketchbook and they were like, Hey man, could you paint this? Um, so I was like, okay. Will you only do that if like, you really like the idea that they pitch you? Um, I don't do it very often because doing commissions is very stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I just, uh, I take so long to make a painting. I only make like 15, maybe a year, 14 or 15. So, um, if it's like somebody who's bought a painting before and they want another one, um, or they bought more than one painting, then I'll be like, okay, cool. i you know, I really appreciate them supporting me in that way. So I'm kind of just like, okay, you know, you bought a couple paintings. Okay. Whatever you want. Like, I really appreciate it. So now that you've explained some of the world where the aliens like can't dream and they steal dreams, is this an alien stealing a dream or is this like, that's an alien. That's an, that's an alien astral projecting out of a human. How does so, that work? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, it just it just happens. You know, like uh, it's kind of like if we were to astral project out of our body, we would probably have a representation of ourselves um, that would come out. But if you're an alien who's possessed the body of a human, then your astral projected body would still be your original incorporeal alien body i don't know how much you um get into like the astral projection stuff this little cord that you've uh, drawn there that's connecting him there and yeah. like a rosicrucianism that would be called like the silver cord and yeah that, that could get severed at some point yeah when i was a little kid i went to the library and checked out a book about astral projection and i practiced like the exercises every single day for a very long time um with various results 
I was really, really into that as a kid. Um, I had a, had one really major out of body experience. I was at outdoor school when I was a kid. It was very trippy. Um, but yeah, you said you're into it when you were a kid. Uh, do you have any desire to astral project now? Have you like grown out of it? Do you just not have time? Probably not anything? have time, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm still, int- I'm still interested in it. Um, I'm still interested in, uh, magic in other ways too. Um, but yeah, astral projection, um, remote viewing, things like that. I, I do find pretty fascinating still. Do you do any, like, um, I noticed on your feed, you've got a bunch of tarot cards and, and, uh, like pictures and stuff. Do you do that yeah. actively to like direct your day or anything? Uh, yeah, I took a few tarot classes. Um, I'll give readings to friends. I'll, uh, usually pick a card every day, um, or focus on a card that I want to have happen for that day. So, yeah, so I'll intentionally like choose to, uh, choose to do that. Um, I also use tarot as like a creative prompt too. Like if I'm, um, I guess that could be one of the, uh, that question you were asking earlier about um, writer's block. Mm -hmm. One thing that I do when I'm creating a series of paintings that has a major storyline is I will, I have a specific spread that I use for, um, for creating the story. So like the spread will be like um, protagonist setting, conflict, emotion, um, moral, you know, something like that. So, so that I can start generating a story based on a spread. Maybe I won't completely go with it, but it kind of gets my mind going in a direction that maybe I, um, you know, hadn't thought of before. So yeah, yeah I use good. Oh, sorry. I was going to ask if you had a specific tarot deck that you prefer. Yeah. The Rider weight deck for sure. It's right here next to me. It's like, yeah, I can show it's very beat up. Yeah, it's very worn. <laughs> yeah, I love this thing. Do you bring also, that everywhere with you? Not everywhere now. What about your I I was gonna ask you this before, like um when I said, you know, is it a fleeting thought? Like will you be able to remember like an idea you had? What do you do if you don't have like a sketch pad and and like a pencil on you for whatever reason? Like and, and an idea comes to you. Um, I mean, usually I do have a sketchbook with me at all times, but I mean, usually I'll just be like, okay, cool. That's, that's a good idea. I'll, um, I'll draw that later. And then whenever I have a very good memory for some reason, it's weird being dyslexic, but having a good memory, I don't ever, um, forget, uh, like visual ideas. Is this a reptilian or what is this guy? Uh, what did I call him? Um, oh, the Lorga. That is more of just like a demon. Um, there was, uh, it was an Oracle and that little, uh, version of the story. They were going to, um, ask some advice, um, of the Lorga. I love so, yeah. that. They bring him a strawberry rhubarb pie. That's the, that's the coolest thing to, to give an Oracle monster. Yeah, yeah, it likes pie. 
Um, <laughs> and that's Hacks and Forehand in there. He's he's a major reoccurring character. He's a crystal wizard. He's super new age. Um, he had some alcohol issues that he had overcome. Um, but, you know, for the most part, he's a really great guy. Uh, he travels around and, like, he's, he uses crystals as his main... Uh, he heals people with crystals. He's... Um, I saw him healing a gray in an earlier one. Is he, like, in yeah, league the, with the grays, or does he have something the, worked out with them? He actually is friends with the grays. There aren't very many that are friends with the grays. That gray's name was uh, Zolirium, which is uh, Miralax backwards, which is what I give my cat when it gets constipated. But its name is... <laughs> um, it's Zolirium. And uh, Haxum Forehand uh, encountered that gray in the desert and it had been shot it had been shot by some bandits it was just that uh solarium is a cactus theologian and a force field expert but um a force field chief i'm sorry and um for whatever reason his force field didn't work and he got shot and Haxon uh um healed the gray and um they became friends and Haxum taught um, the, the, the alien taught, um, Haxum all about force fields and Haxum taught the gray all about friendship. Have you ever considered like turning this into an actual, I mean, I know, you know, writing, you said, uh, is kind of like a pain, but like writing all this into a narrative with like the images, illustrations. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of working on that right now. So it's something that's kind of happening. I've got a, a publisher in France I've been talking with. Um, so we'll see. You know, part of it, um, they want to put it out. So I'm going to um, let them kind of guide the effort a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would love to put out a book or something like that. Um, I mean, the, the images are so cool, but hearing you tell the stories behind everything just makes it like 10 times as cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's, um... I When I saw this one, I mean, I'm biased, but all I could think of was Bohemian Grove. Uh, is that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. What, do you, what are your thoughts on Bohemian Grove? I first heard about Bohemian Grove like a little over 20 years ago, but I was like in a college I did a political science degree at the U of O and um, I had this, um, it was like back before you could find all this stuff on the internet. I had this teacher telling me about, you know, he was really into conspiracies and stuff. And he was telling us all about Bohemian Grove. And I was just like, Whoa, that is far out. Um, it doesn't sound real. And then you read about how real it is. And that was one of my biggest ones too, was like, are you telling me that these guys on TV that are talking about being, you know, like God fearing Christians and trying to pre like, and I, I don't have a religious leaning one way or the other, but to say one thing and be like, you know, you can't even wear white after labor day and or I'll be offended. And then it's like, and I'm going to go and sacrifice uh, this effigy to a pagan god it just it was like this weird like complete breakdown of what i assumed was reality i don't know man that's that's like my go-to yeah definitely bohemian grove is fascinating to me and also i would i i thought that i mean i've never been there obviously 
I wouldn't be allowed, but, um, but I've heard that, you know, like presidents and officials who you would not picture being friends would, you know, be there together at the Grove, you know, just all kinds of different people who you would be like, Oh, really? You guys, you guys all go to this. Um, my, my favorite analogy for that. There's a, if you've never heard of Jordan Maxwell, highly recommend just like devouring everything he's ever put out. But Jordan Maxwell has this amazing talk. He does a lot with like wordplay, but my, one of my favorite ones is he's talking about lawyers in a courtroom. And if you imagine like two basketball players on the court and they might be, you know, arch enemies, you know, like this big rivalry that's been going on for 20 years. Yeah. But after the game, let's say that like everyone that's, that was at that game, the audience, the players, the refs, they all go to like a bar somewhere and all the basketball players go into the VIP section. Who do you think that they'd have more ease sharing a beer with their arch rival of 20 years or some random bumpkin fan that like might even be on their side. It's like they would, they would still hang out with like their quote unquote enemies because they're their peers, right? They don't, they're, they're all basketball players. Right. And that, and he would say that the same thing is with lawyers is that after the big court case, the two lawyers are going to have a drink with each other because they were just in the court, just volleying that ball back and forth. And like, they're both on the game and they love to just be in the game and they can bond over being players in the game and everyone else is a spectator. So two players will always have more in common than a player and a spectator would ever have. So anyway, that's, that's my, that's when I see Bohemian Grove and it's like, you know cats and dogs living together pure chaos but really it's just like no two rich guys living together yeah (laughs) yeah you're powerful and i'm powerful let's hang out at this place and worship moloch the owl skinny dip (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) let's kill a hooker too or or all the rumors or whatever cremation of care yeah that's yeah yeah the cremation of care yeah that's what it's called Yeah, I played in punk bands when I was in um, when I was in college, and uh, we had a song about the Bohemian Grove. What was it called? Was it just called Bohemian? I Grove? think it was called Bohemian Grove. Yeah, right, right on the nose. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to. Um, I mean, you've got so much art here. I'm not going to go through every single one. When we first started, though, you mentioned that you're kind of working in like batches of nine to tell a story, and I couldn't help but notice these yeah, most recent so nine. Yeah, so all the new ones, um, yeah, those top, those were all in a Bigfoot series called The Primordial Conjunction. Um, Apparently, I've never seen Shrek, but I've been told that my storyline is identical to the storyline of Shrek with that. I don't know if that's cool or not, but, you know. That's well, I don't remember Shrek out. getting an amulet and transforming into a human, but yeah, yeah. So it's about this uh, Sasquatch named Applebear Stone Tree, who um, he sees these uh, Bigfoot hunters in the forest, and he falls in love with this one uh, Bigfoot hunter um, because she smells horrible, and he's just like, "Oh my god, I love her." So he goes to the aliens. Oh, spoiler alert. In my weird story, uh, Bigfoot is what an alien gray used to be before they transcended. And like they're to, pr- were to like primates to us are what um, 
Sasquatch is to an alien gray. Okay. So anyway, missing link between humans and grays kind of, well, no, we're not even related to grays. That's just like, that's what um, grays were in their ancient past is they were Sasquatch. (laughs) So that's just in my uh, story. But anyway, so Apple Bear Stone Tree acquires this shape-shifting amulet from a gray who's down to help him um, with his love quest. So, um, so yeah, he transforms into this hot guy, and then he goes back to um, the uh, group um, in his um, in his uh, human in his alien form. Or in his, uh, yeah, in his human form. And then um, he meets this woman and uh, they fall madly in love. They get married the next day. And then he decides to tell her that, yo, now that we're married, I have to tell you something. I'm actually a Sasquatch posing as a hot stud. And she's like, oh, dang that doesn't bother me at all. And then he gets shot and, um, or they, uh, one of the Bigfoot hunters sees the Bigfoot, um, that he's turned into and she accidentally shoots Clorinda Moondew. That's her name. That's the uh, love interest name. Instead, he goes totally berserk. Um, but then something magical happens and it turns out that his love interest was actually also, a Sasquatch posing as a human and hopes to find love. So she was tagging along with a couple of Sasquatch hunters, hoping that she could find a Sasquatch because they're so elusive. They have a hard time finding each other. So, um, so yeah, in the end, they open a portal to the, um, the primordial realm and they go back in time and, Lay some eggs, lay some Sasquatch eggs. Oh, that's a new one for me. So the so the these Sasquatch actually lay eggs. Yeah. They lay eggs and they're <laughs> they lay eggs and they're able to communicate with the uh fairy with the creatures of the fairy realm. They're not okay, fairies yeah, though. A little but they're they're, they're on yeah, they're on good terms with the uh fairy folk. What's the little skeleton dude that has like a tree stump and duck legs? Yeah, he's of the unseely court. He's like a bad fairy. All fairies could potentially be bad fairies. I've I've read they some horrible could things be. about fairies. Yeah, that that fairy is uh he's he's kind of bad, maybe a little bit of a trickster kind of guy. <laughs> So I've got a, another segment here that I think is a good segue, especially talking about fairies and dinosaurs and Bigfoot. Um, so let's just run into it. Hey, conspiracy buffs, I double dare you to take some PCP, the Paranormal Conspiracy Probe. On your marks, get set, and go! So this is just real casual. I'm just going to ask you on a rating from 0 to 10, uh, zero meaning like you don't believe in something at all and 10 meaning like you're a hundred percent on board with it. I just want to get a temperature check on a bunch of random topics. Does I can't, cool? I can't, uh, preface it with any, um, 
with any uh, disclaimer or anything? If if you want to, I would just give it like a five or a six and we'll revisit it. So you don't have to feel like ultra committed to any of these numbers. Any okay. like we'll revisit all these. This is what's gonna drive the last like 10, 15 minutes of us talking. Okay. Right? So so Bigfoot, zero to ten. Like how 10. real is he? A ten hundred percent ten. Uh the sure. Greys. Ten. Reptilians. Ten. Dinosaurs. Ten. Dragons. Ten. Man, what where where can I get some nines or eights at? Okay, I, I like this so far. How okay, let's let's direct it a little bit. Uh humans have stepped foot on the moon. Ten. The moon landing footage that was shown in the sixties was real. It was in the James Bond movie. Um or uh no, no, I do think that that was real. Um, and I was going to say that it was also in that James. So I guess it was real. Sorry, delete that last part that I said. So I the one, the one that got aired else. on television, you think was the actual moon landing footage? Uh, yeah, why not? Okay. Um, magic is real. Yes, 10. Alistair Crowley successfully summoned a demon. Uh, nine. How possible zero to 10 do you think it would be for like an atheist to just go and buy like the top five books on how to summon a demon on Amazon and then successfully summon a demon? Um, I don't know. It really depends on the person. That's a tough question. Um, I would say pretty, a pretty low number, like a three. Uh, what do you think of Lee Harvey Oswald was the sole assassin of JFK? Zero to ten. Uh, zero. <laughs> do you think... Uh, well, we'll get back into that. JFK is one of my favorite topics. So we'll get into that. Celebrity clones. Like, for example, people would say, like, <laughs> Jamie Foxx is no longer Jamie Foxx. It's now a clone of Jamie Foxx. And then he came out with a movie about being a clone. How real what? do you think celebrity clones are right now i don't know if i have enough information about that i don't know anything about celebrity we don't have clones. to name anyone in particular have you not heard about celebrity clones i haven't in heard of any celebrity i don't know anything about celebrities so like that's so, one black hole in my um knowledge i oh you're missing out about, so much you're gonna be on your deathbed and you're gonna be like i wish i knew more about celebrities what about yeah I when people talk about pop culture and stuff i have no idea what they're talking about ever so i mean uh i want to transition away from the but that's the, awesome the, i want to learn more about the Clones. Well, so That's so cool. one of them is uh, the ones that I don't really like as much, but like the Jamie Fox is a big one. Usually, when a celebrity gets like really sick and then they they bounce back, everyone will, and I say everyone in a very flippant way, but a lot of the the conspiracy community is like, you know, that's not the real one. He's fake now. The biggest example is probably Britney Spears, where a lot of people assume that she's either programmed or she's got a body double or there's legitimately like real clones and they just cloned her so they could always have this, you know, ready to go to work sort of, you know, product model they could just put up on stage. Um, I don't necessarily put a lot of credit into a lot of them, but it is a very persistent topic that I find interesting. That's a pretty, that's a pretty cool, um, cool idea. I mean, at the same time though, uh, I, 
did see on Instagram Brittany dancing with some knives. <laughs> and it right. seems pretty Brittany, though. You know, that seems <laughs> like something that she would do. I don't know if that right. was like, seems like clone sort of thing. But I don't know that much about Brittany. So I just, you know, it didn't seem like too crazy. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's cool. What is your media consumption like? My media consumption is like 90% fantasy novels. Um, like I listen to a lot of fantasy novels. I'll listen to the news um, while I'm painting on a podcast. I usually listen to like the BBC or uh, maybe maybe a, um, something from around here. Um, I don't really watch very, it's kind of rare. Like if I'm on vacation, my girlfriend and I will like watch, uh, watch some movies or something, but sometimes I'll like, I'll watch Netflix while I'm painting. But for the most part, I listen to books and I listen to music and stuff. Do you have any, uh, like movies or TV shows that you remember from your youth that have directed your, your view on art or anything like you see the exorcist or you see like, you know, uh, close yeah, encounters all that all of those. Yeah. I mean, I only watched like that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, the X files like sightings, um, sightings was a big one. That, that show was kind of spooky sometimes unsolved mysteries. Um, yeah. I would say mainly the X files when I was a kid. Um, as far as like alien stuff goes. But um, I guess the one thing that really did it was the mysteries of the unknown books. I was always more into books than uh, watching stuff. So Correct do you know me, those? Mysteries of the Unknown, was that the one it's that like, like National Geographic life. put out? It's a Time Life series, and they're all um, really uh, pretty high quality. Oh, wait, I even have one still. I have one on witchcraft. Um but these things were, um, Oh my God. I a hundred percent had some of those, man. Not that yeah, one. I had, um, wow. My stepdad owned a <laughs> lot of these, um, or my, uh, sorry, my real dad owned a lot of these. So whenever I would go over to his house, I would, um, yeah, I'd flip through those and I would learn about all kinds of stuff. And I was, yeah, I was pretty young when I started breeding them i was like whoa werewolves you can turn into a werewolf by doing that that's amazing when i grow up i want to be a werewolf <laughs> that, man you just gave me a huge uh hit of of nostalgia on that one because i remember that exact i don't i haven't seen one of those in like decades but i remember one was about uh the bermuda triangle and it also had an article mm -hmm. on spontaneous combustion i remember as yeah. i don't know eight or eight or nine and i just remember thinking you're telling me that there's people just bursting in the flames randomly all over the place and i haven't seen this on the news yet and like, that could happen to me happen? yeah dude is this gonna happen to me like what was going on here um it's weird how like the the spontaneous combustions kind of died out after they introduced like flame retardant clothing and you know safety stuff yeah people <laughs> stop smoking as much yeah stop smoking in the car and flicking it on them and then going over <laughs> yeah. the flames. <laughs> uh -huh. so um he, i wanted to ask about the jfk one 
because you said zero that Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, that's that that's just a placeholder question to figure out how much you actually care about it. So I don't really know that much about it. I mean, I um, you know, I, I don't think I'm the most informed person to be like having a passionate argument in that way. That it just seems anyone like with passionate arguments, though. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't really seem like um one person could you know put together an operation like that you know just on what little i know it seems like uh let's see it seems like a challenging uh little project to put together to like murder a president you know it seems like you would want to have some allies and you'd want to maybe be put up to it. I don't know. I read the, uh, I read the Stephen King, um, book. Uh, it was a date, uh, the date JFK was assassinated in 19. I can't remember what the actual date was, but oh, it was you're a, me on the spot. November 3rd, 1963, I think 11, 393. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. It was a time travel book. It's right, pretty right. cool. Um, I did really not read the book. The I did see the TV show with James Franco, though. Yeah, I haven't seen the show, um, but um, yeah, that was pretty fascinating. Um, I think his whole thing was that um, he acted alone in Stephen King's book. I can't remember, but, um, but yeah, what's your ideas on it? I mean, I do find it fascinating, but. Um, I mean, I've got a wild thoughts on it, to be honest. I'm somewhere, I mean, just like you, um, I'm not an expert on the topic. And also, I feel like you could literally spend your entire life becoming an expert on the topic and still not have the right answer. But I am a huge fan of the King Kill 33 uh, theory. Are you familiar with this? No. So man, uh, this this will wrap this will wrap up our our conversation here a little bit. But like, cool. The King Kill Thirty Three ritual to grandly oversimplify it is basically that the health of the kingdom reflects the health of the king. So if you've got a vir- you know, a virulent king that's um like at the top of his game and a sharp thinker and you know witty, then you also have the village that is kind of reflecting that. At the same time, if you've got a sickly um, leader that's like on his deathbed, then it's also like your your village is sickly and might be on its deathbed. And likewise, if you've got a corrupt leader, then it might mean that your city's corrupt. Um, so, so this kind of acting as the leader is almost like the head of the body in a, in a lot of ways. So King Kill 33 ritual states that you can control that power. So if you're if the king is sickly and you kill the king, and whoever inherits that energy might also be sickly. So I'm oversimplifying this, but it means that you want to take the king out at his height, at the peak of his energy, because whoever you replace the king with gets to inherit that high amount of like real quality energy, right? So you don't just like bump the old guy on his way out and replace him with a new guy because there's not a, a huge transfer there. So the King Kill 33 ritual which um, not mine by any means. Uh, it's it's proposed by J- this guy named James Shelby Downard, who uh, is dead now, a long time ago. But basically that the where it took place in Dealey Plaza, the arrangement of where people were standing, the time of day that it happened, like 
he passed under some sort of pagan. I don't know all the little intricate details, but that he was taken out in a very ritualistic, magical way in order to transfer that energy from one to the next, the next being LBJ, essentially. Um, so that that's one of my favorite theories. There's a lot of other cool ones. One of them is that he was killed by a curse um, from... Uh, I can't remember his name, the, the president of Haiti, because JFK, he he revoked um, international aid that we were giving to Haiti. And the president of Haiti at the time, I'm flaking on his name, he basically put out a curse on JFK. And after JFK was taken out, he claimed that it was his curse that was what really happened. And to make this just a little bit more sweet, um, this guy named George de Morinschild who, if, if you go into the JFK research and stuff, uh, or even in Stephen King's book. very familiar, yeah. Well, he was in the book. He was the one that basically became Lee's friend when Lee moved to uh, either Dallas or Fort Worth because uh, de Morinschild, he had a Russian history, and basically anytime... Friends with the moved, wife, too. Right? Exactly. Oh, so not only friends with the wife, he also knew Jackie Kennedy when she was just a girl. Not just did he know, and this is all real. I'm not just oh, like wow. coming up with random. So he knew Jackie Ken, or you know, yeah, Jackie Kennedy um, Bouvier, or was her maiden name. Knew her as a girl. He literally wrote in one of his memoirs that she used to sit on his knee as he would tell stories. So like her as a little girl, he knew. He knew JFK. He knew JFK's wife Marina, and he was in Haiti in Port-au-Prince when JFK got killed, and he wrote in his in his memoirs that as soon as he heard the president was dead, that he knew it was Lee Harvey Oswald. So you got this guy that's like connected to Haiti, connected to JFK, connected to Jackie, connected to Lee, connected to Marina, connected to CIA. Anyways, the theories don't stop, man. Like every time I pull up one little leaf, it's like there's 20 other theories under there. We're not even talking about the guy that has the weird eyebrows that, uh, um, I, I forgot, uh, Dan, not Danny DeVito, but, uh, someone played him in the JFK movie. Um, I can't remember that. Have you ever seen the JFK movie? <laughs> so there, there's a weirdo that like shaves his eyebrows, brows off and like draws them back on. This is based on a real person. <laughs> and that cool. guy is the one that started the civil air patrol, um, that Lee Harvey Oswald also joined while he was in new Orleans. So it's just like everything's connected and the more i look into it it makes me feel like jfk never had a chance he was born to be uh, sacrificed in a magical ritual and it was just like take your pick on who ended up doing it but he was kind of like meant to fill that role so anyways that's my that's wow my <laughs> wow that's far out yeah i want to yeah, that's a that's a rabbit hole I'd like to dive down again too. That's I'd cool. love to drop that seed, man. Maybe there's like a presidential assassination plot in your in your fantasy world that can that can play itself out. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, thank you. That's that is, that's good. Well, uh, Mark, um, I want to give you another chance to just tell people where they can find your work, uh, where the website is, if there's any like projects you got going on to look out for. This is airing uh, early November. Cool, yeah. Um, uh, my website is uh, www.markrogersart.com. My Instagram is at markrogersart. Um Right now, I just had a um, show in Philly at the um, Archenemy Gallery with um, uh, for, for um, 
the uh, High Fructose um, Invitational 2023, and I think that um, that'll still be going on when this airs. So if anybody's in Philly, I have a huge painting there um, at the gallery. There's a bunch of other really cool paintings there too. It's a group show. So yeah, congratulations, gonna... by the way, man. That's huge. Thanks. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah. Jeez, right, well, thanks um, for having me on, Thomas. Yeah, man. This this it. was fascinating. I love getting the, the backstory. I never would have known any of this. I mean, I just like the art, but now knowing the story. Oh, wait, I actually before we go, I have to ask you about the dolphin character. I've got a good That's friend Peter. shout out donut. What's his name? Peter. So what's what's Peter's uh, backstory? Peter is a dolphin human hybrid um, who is sort of like acting as the Palladian's um, coastal patrol officer. And um, he is, uh, he's kind of like, uh, like their servant, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He, um, he's the only nice one to this character. This is the current story I'm working on. It's about, this guy named Ballard Diffenbach, who is a cookie salesman, and he goes to the island where the Palladians live to like try to set up a cookie subscription account with them. And they are like, you are pathetic. We don't eat sugar. We're, we're amazing. You're just disgusting for even coming here. And also, you also have to take our mentorship program so the series is about him undergoing their brutal mentorship program where they he has to work on his brand and he has to um become more productive and more spiritual and more all of this stuff and he probably won't survive but is Peter, he these cookies one by one, like by hand? <laughs> he's always just handing people a cookie in the banks. <laughs> it just kind of cracks me up. He's like kind of creepy in that way. It's like, here, have a cookie. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah. yeah, I wanted to shout out to Donut because he loves dolphins. And when I saw this, I'm, are you familiar with John C. Lilly's work at all? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely. It was... Uh, was into that. There's a shark human hybrid in this story too, who's um Dieter. So it's Peter and Dieter, the the <laughs> dolphin and the shark. Um but yeah, yeah, John John Lilly's a <laughs> pretty fascinating guy. Well man, thanks again so much for coming on for talking with me. I had a great time. Uh, I hope you did too. Hey, maybe sometime fun. in the future we can get back on and talk, just geek out about John C. Lilly and a bunch of other cool people. Okay, cool. How fun. All right. Thanks again, Mark. And uh, I'll leave everyone on a commercial for my latest comic. That's the, by the time you're seeing this, it probably already would have dropped unless you're on Patreon, in which case go support it, go buy a copy. Uh, and then I'll talk to you in a second, Mark, right after this awesome commercial. Frazzle drip Funhouse. Enter, if you dare, the world of an animatronic bear whose metallic heart beats with a thirst for justice, a hunger for revenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, connoisseurs of the macabre and seekers of the scandalous. Your voracious appetites for chilling narratives are about to be satiated by the heart-stopping, pulse-pounding creation of paranoid American and winged sun comics. 
abandoned in the dusty corners of amusement, now awoken in the murk of wickedness perpetrated by an evil elite. This is not your childhood fairy tale, but a macabre dance of vindication, soaked in crimson, a symphony of screams echoing in the dimly lit chambers of malevolence. Be prepared for an onslaught of ghastly gore and titillating terror. A wicked waltz through twisted hallways and blood-stained basements where only the brave dare to tread. Quake at the bear's unyielding pursuit, cackle at the sharp and sardonic one-liners, shudder at the graphic, gratuitous scenes that harken back to the glory days of B-horror flicks. Frazzledrip Funhouse is your ticket to a thrill ride of terror, a carnival of carnage where the laughs are as loud as the screams. Uncover the truth beneath the rust and the blood, and remember nothing is as it seems. Are you ready to step into the Frazzle Drip Funhouse, where the animatronic eyes are always watching, and vengeance is a game that everyone can play? Get your backer exclusive cover on Indiegogo. For more information, visit ParanoidAmerican.com. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.